Hey, so can you first uh, start by giving us a brief summary about who you are and what you do, basically? Sure. My name is Dr. John McGrail. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and personal empowerment specialist. And essentially what I do is help people in some area of their life who want to make a change, uh, whatever that may be. It could be getting over some emotional pattern, behavioral pattern, fear, phobia. It can be a physical issue. And they're stuck. And I use uh, hypnotherapy and a variety of other tools that I call my synthesis process to help them get unstuck and get their lives working the way they want them to rather than the way they thought they were stuck with. Because most of the time when we're in that service situation, we think, well, that's as good as it gets. That's the way it is. And it doesn't have to be the way it is. So I help people change that. Okay. So can you elaborate a little bit more on the synthesis process? Sure. It's uh, a process that I developed during my doctoral studies. I was doing research for my dissertation. And at the time, I was practicing hypnotherapy, and I started incorporating other techniques, some of them as old as civilization, shamanic techniques, meditations, uh, spiritual models. And, and I also started leveraging some of the cutting-edge discoveries about human behavior and, and the way we, we have evolved and developed a series of models and metaphorical tools that help people understand very quickly how and why they got stuck and how and why the tools we use can help them. And what happened over synthesis, because it uses both the conscious, logical mind, the part of the mind we're used to using to make decisions and choices, and the much more powerful subconscious mind, which is what's controlling the show most of the time, we use these tools and techniques to get the two parts of the mind working together. And that ends the conflict and the resistance to change. And for most of my clients over the years, it increased the efficiency by about 50%. So how do you get the uh, conscious and subconscious mind to work together? Well, you have to understand, and you know, most people realize that we have two parts of the mind. What a lot of people don't realize is that the conscious part of the mind is only about 10% of the human mind. Most of our mind, about 90%, is operating unconsciously or automatically. And there's sort of a threshold, if you will. There's an interaction between the two parts of the mind all the time. But what you have to understand is that the subconscious mind is like a, a three-year-old child. It never gets more sophisticated than that. It doesn't understand the difference between good or bad or happy or sad. All it knows is, I got a positive input or I got a negative input. That's how human beings have learned to evaluate our experience. And the other thing is that metaphorically, it operates a lot like a computer. And so, as you know, as we all know, once a computer is programmed, it will play its programs over and over and over again. And if we want it to do something differently, we have to reprogram it. So what often happens is we get into one of these situations. Let's just use something simple where you want to lose 10 or 15 pounds and you've been trying, you go on diets, you try exercise, you try all these things, and you always end up right back where you started from. You can't make that change. You can't make it stick. You want to. You know it would be good for you, but your subconscious computer is playing that program. I'm overweight. I'm overweight. We can't stay on this program. We have to go uh, binge eat or whatever it is because we're emotionally upset. And so you have 10% of the mind that wants something, pulling, if you will, like a tug of war against the 90% of the mind that's programmed for what we don't want and plays it automatically. What we have to do is get the two parts of the mind working together. So with hypnotherapy and the other tools, we essentially unlearn the patterns that we don't want and then reteach this little three-year-old child the ones we do. It's like teaching a, a, a little kid, two plus two is five. Don't you ever forget it. Two plus two is five, okay? Okay, whatever you say. He, he doesn't or she doesn't know any better. And then we say, you know what? You learn two plus two is five. And I know you think that's the truth. And I know you think that's reality, but you got some bad programming. So I want you to unlearn that and learn two plus two is four. What do you say? Because we're dealing with a very innocent child in the subconscious, he or she says, okay, fine, whatever you say. That's, that's essentially metaphorically how it works. Um, and hypnosis and the other tools I use are very powerful tools for facilitating these changes because it creates a very open, receptive state of mind. It makes the mind open to new ideas, to changes. So you kind of mentioned something very interesting about what you do, but how do you apply this to specific clients? Well, <clears throat> the beauty of it is that the tools and the models are, are 
usable across human behavior. And, you know, I've been in practice now for almost 20 years, and a lot of it is science, which I can teach anybody, and there's an art to it. Working with thousands and thousands of people over the years, I've developed a pretty good sensitivity to sort of the general patterns I see, but also I have developed the ability to really, really connect with people on an individual basis. And so the first place we start is to find out how, well, first of all, what do you want to change? What's going on in your life? What is it that you want different? I want more self-esteem. I want to make more money. I want better relationships. I want to quit smoking. I want to lose weight. I don't want to bite my nails anymore. I want to be able to get on the freeway and drive or get on an airplane and go see my grandmother. I'm terrified to fly. It doesn't matter what it is. And, of course, in this day and age with what we're going through, everybody is stressed at some level more than usual and sometimes a lot more than usual. And there's an enormous amount of anxiety going on in this country for good reasons. So whatever it is, I take the time to understand how and why they got that way. And then I help them understand how and why they got that way, how the mind works, this little computer that's running the show that doesn't know any better. And then we start using the tools. And what I found early on is when you create understanding, you know, there's that old saying, Jimbo, knowledge is power. When you help someone understand that there's nothing wrong with them, because when we have an issue, we think we're the only ones that have it, and there's something wrong with us. There's got to be something wrong with me. I hear that all the time. There's nothing wrong with you. You just learned a pattern that you had no idea was going to stick And now it's messing up your life. You're normal. It happens to everybody. We all have stuff. So once we create that understanding, the light bulb goes off and they say, well, hey, if that's how it happened, maybe I can change it. And then, of course, we apply the tools. That's the art of it. And, you know, some of it you can teach and some of it you can't. And most people, if they're dedicated and they really want to make the change, Uh, change quickly and profoundly. It's really amazing to see someone transform their lives, which is why I do what I do. It's very satisfying. That's a bit of a story, and I'll try to make it as short as possible, but um, I started messing around with hypnosis probably 35 years ago when I was in the military. Uh, I was a young pilot for the Coast Guard, and and, uh, it was a very stressful job, as you might imagine. And I found this little book in a bookstore, and I, it was called Hypno-Cybernetics. So I found this little book in a bookstore called Hypno-Cybernetics, and it, it was essentially a book that taught you self-hypnosis. And I started using it on myself to help with my stress levels and to uh, help concentrate better, and, and I found that it was really, really effective. And that sort of opened up an interest in the mind-body connection. Um, fast forward to about 25 years later, I was in a crossroads of my life and wanted to make a change and was stuck just the way I was describing. And I worked with a hypnotherapist who was brilliant and helped me literally turn my life around. Fast forward another 10 years, uh, I'm in a crossroads of my career. I was a senior VP for a media production company out here in Los Angeles and the dot-com crash uh, happened for those people who remember 2001. And the company essentially got bought by a company that was about to go out of business. So I found myself essentially unemployed. What am I going to do? I'm 40-something years old. Um, I could dust off my resume and go back into TV, which is where I came from for this job, or maybe look at some other possibilities. And, excuse me, I started thinking about all the things I had ever done. Coast Guard pilot, airline pilot, producer, director, Uh, I owned my own production company on the East Coast for a while, and I realized that in all the jobs I ever had, I always ended up being an instructor and enjoying training and mentoring and coaching my employees and my staff. That was always the, the fun of my job. So I started looking for ways I could do that. I looked at med school. I looked at uh, traditional psychology. I looked at divinity school. Really, every possibility I could think of that would allow me to to use this passion to help people. And I remembered my hypnotherapist, and I started doing research on the training and realized that of all the different disciplines that might be satisfying for me, this would be the one that would allow me to get into business quickly. Uh, And also, it tapped into this really uh, profound interest I had about spirituality and the mind-body connection and native philosophies. And so it all just kind of came together, 35 years of professional experience, my natural desires. I went and got my certification. It only took a year, so I didn't have to stay unemployed that long. And then later on, I got my Ph.D. 
But that's essentially how it started. It was like all the things I ever did came together at the right time. And, you know, I like to say I haven't worked a day in, uh, since, which is almost 20 years now. Okay, so another thing is, um, was it ever tough trying to synthesize the spiritual side of your mind to the more textbook-oriented, practical knowledge-based side? In the beginning, that's a great question. In the beginning, it was because I was a classically trained uh, scientist. I was a biology, physiology, anatomy major in my undergraduate uh, work with a minor in psychology. So I was very um, um, ingrained with Western culture. You know, I'll believe it when I see it and show me and prove it. And if it, you can't prove it, it's not science. And the fact that I just had this natural curiosity about the spiritual world, and that's all, the only way I can describe it. I was a little afraid of it. I didn't quite understand it. I knew that spirit and religion were two completely different things. Um, but there was this other side of existence that, that was fascinating to me. And I just gradually started dipping my toes in the water, the waters of learning spiritual uh, practices, and particularly with Native philosophies. And it didn't take very long to realize that the, the two work beautifully together. And once that happened, I just dove in head first because I realized that if you don't nurture the spiritual side of our existence, we are spiritual beings, whether we like it or not. It's got nothing to do with religion. There are 2,300 religions on earth. There are, there is only one species of people. We are all the same and we are all spiritual beings. We may practice different religions, but it's got nothing to do with it. It's also the most important and uh, the major part of our being is this essence, what makes us these living, intelligent creatures, spirit. And we've proven it to exist. So the science is coming around to proving what the native peoples have known for thousands of years. And for me, once I really dove into it, it was just as natural as breathing. And, I, you know, it really has guided my life for the last 25 years. So working with clients, what type of clients do you generally have to work with most of the time? What's a common issue? What's a common theme that you notice in most of your clients? It sort of became a niche. Well, I don't really have a niche. I My youngest client is seven, and my oldest, I just started working with a 93-year-old lady a couple of weeks ago. Uh, was 85 now. I My oldest is 93. And I do work across the behavioral spectrum. That's the beauty of these tools is that they can be applied to virtually any issue. However, if you were to ask me if there's one prevalent issue these days, as I mentioned a little bit ago, it is chronic stress and anxiety. We are an anxious culture, and we were before COVID. This is not, it's gotten worse in the, over the last year, but I would say for the last five or six years, the vast majority of people I work with, kids, um, um, teenagers, young adults, mature adults, doesn't matter. Stress and anxiety is probably the number one thing because our society and our culture is so energy, energetically imbalanced. We are so consumed with doing and acquiring and achieving and the physical world. And we in Western culture have basically neglected the spiritual side of life for so long. You make that, when you get that energetically imbalanced, it causes this. So that's probably the number one thing I deal with. I've become an expert at it just because I've done with, dealt with it so much. But anxiety is about feeling out of control. And what we do with the synthesis process and hypnotherapy is help my clients, young and old alike, regain that sense of control over themselves and reestablish that energetic balance. And once that happens, then they can cope with anything, even this craziness we're dealing with today. So I'm interested to know, how is this therapy process done? Do you have to ask your client to buy certain instruments or do you just kind of put them through like, I don't know, a session or an exercise? How does that work? Well, there are no instruments that need to be purchased. Um, I ask for an open mind. You can be as skeptical as you want. I ask for a sincere desire to make the change, and it's got to be for yourself, not because someone else wants you to do it. You have to be willing to commit to yourself and do the work because it is a process. And then the rest is really about guiding the client through this process. As I said before, creating understanding. That's number one. Explaining how it works explaining why we get the way we do, how we get stuck, 
And as I said again, everybody, I don't care who you are, at some time or another, or may, maybe many times in your life, have issues that we just can't solve on our own. And we have this stigma in our culture about getting help for emotional issues or behavioral issues. You know, if you if you have a toothache, you go to the dentist. No big deal. If your car gets banged up, you take it into the mechanic. You don't fix your own car. But God forbid, if you have an emotional issue, a behavioral issue, a habit or something holding you back, oh, you're supposed to suck it up and get through it because there's something wrong with me. So we create that understanding and then gently show them how powerful their mind really is because all these techniques, hypnosis and uh, all the other tools and techniques, simply use the way the mind works to help it get out of its own way. It is completely natural. It is completely safe. But it happens to be very, very powerful. Hypnosis, which is one of the primary tools I use, obviously, has been in use for 7,000 years as a healing tool since the dawn of civilization. So if something's been around for 7,000 years, there's got to be a reason for it. And the reason is that it works really well if you know what you're doing, and if the client really wants to do the work. And to, the, to answer the last part of your question, it is a number of sessions. Everybody responds differently because every mind is different. Uh, but usually, for, with my clients at least, and I can't speak for other people, three to six sessions is sort of an average ballpark for you know the run-of-the-mill issues that I deal with. Some people need more or want more. Some people need less. Everybody gets a personalized course of treatment because every mind is different and everybody responds at their own pace. Okay, so I see you mentioning hypnosis quite a bit, and hypnosis was a thing used in the past, as you said before. So is it normal for you know for you to put people in a hypnotic state most of the time? And was this actually done previously in the past as well? As I said, hypnosis has been in use for thousands of years. The ancient Egyptian culture built temples that they called sleep temples where people would go and be induced into trance. What a lot of people don't understand is that hypnosis in and of itself is a natural state of consciousness. We all do it every day, whether we know it or not. Anytime you watch a good movie or a TV show and you have an emotional experience, whatever it is, whether it's you know laughter or tears or sadness or joy, you're feeling real feelings but you're watching something that's a complete illusion. A good movie or a good TV show or even a good book puts you in that state of consciousness. It's a trance. You're focused on one thing. You're, all the other distractions go away. Notice when you're in a movie theater especially, you don't notice the other people. You don't notice anything. You're in a dark room. You're focused on the screen, and you go into this state. You're awake. You're aware, but everything disappears except that experience. And then your mind, your subconscious mind, which is only three years old, feels real feelings, even though it's watching something that's a complete illusion. So also we are in a very open, suggestible state of mind when, we, when we're in that state of consciousness. We want to enjoy the movie. Now, if you go to a bad movie and you sit there and say, oh my God, this sucks. Why did I spend all this money on this crappy film? You don't go into hypnosis. So that part of your mind that says, no, 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 this isn't real, doesn't go away. It doesn't shut down. And you don't have that emotional experience. So reading a good book, daydreaming, watching a mo movie or TV, getting zoned out on the freeway and forgetting where your exit is or getting where you were driving and you can't remember how you got there, you've been in hypnosis already. It's a natural state of consciousness. When we use it as a therapeutic tool, we ask the mind to enter that state of consciousness on purpose. We guide it into that state of consciousness. That's my job. All the client has to do is let it happen because they do it every day anyway. And we bring it to a more profound level, if you will, of what we call depth. In other words, very, very focused, very quiet. And the mind gets very open to new possibilities. And then we give the mind, the subconscious mind, those new possibilities through a variety of techniques, direct suggestion, just saying, okay, you're not going to want to smoke anymore. That works for some people. Or we may do it through, through image or metaphor. You know, you see a cloud of smoke and it makes you sick. It all depends on the person. That's the art of it. But when the mind is in that state of what we call suggestibility, it's open to new possibilities. And that's how the tool works. I also need to say, and I'm sure people are out there wondering, we cannot make anybody do, think, say, or feel anything they do not want to. Everybody's always afraid you're going to take me over. You're going to make me cluck like a chicken or quack like a duck. First of all, if I could make people do what I want them to do, I would do it. I would create an army of minions 
to go out and solve all the world's problems. It doesn't work that way. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. I can only help you create and achieve what you want. But it is a very powerful tool to make that happen. It's really important, though, that people realize that they're always in control. No one can make them do anything or think or say or feel. So I think, you know, when people think of a hypnotist, the first thing they think of is perhaps a performance hypnotist. I understand that you're definitely different from those types of people, but could you kind of elaborate on how you are different? Oh, absolutely. You know, start with this fact. Hypnosis is simply a state of mind. Everybody experiences it every day. When you're in that state of mind, you become suggestible to possibilities. A stage hypnotist, the first thing they do when you go to a stage show and they say, okay, who wants to come up and play? Who wants to be part of the fun? And a bunch of hands go up in the audience. Of those people who raise their hands, now now remember, who wants to come? So they want to be in the show. That's number one. Then the hypnotist brings them up and does some testing to see how suggestible they are because there is a certain percentage of the population that has the ability of going into a very deep state of hypnosis very quickly. Not everybody can do that. But in that group of volunteers, the hypnotist knows there'll be enough of them that can. Some go get sent back to their seats. Some get stay on stage. And after a few rounds, they have the dozen or so people. By the time that, that part is over, those folks are already in hypnosis. They don't even know it yet. So when the hypnotist says sleep, they go right into a nice deep trance. And then they happily do all those zany things because they want to be in the show. Now, I use the very same state of consciousness to help people create changes in their life. There's no, I don't make people quack like chickens or, or quack like ducks or cluck like chickens. You have an issue, you, you're stuck in that issue, you want to change that, and this same state of consciousness will help you do that. It takes reinforcement, it's not one and done. There are going to be a number of sessions I give you exercises to do to reinforce the new patterns, but if you commit in a very short period of time compared to how long you've been suffering, your life will be vastly different. So it's the same state of consciousness, it's like a hammer. You can use a hammer to bang in a nail, or you can use a hammer to hit somebody on the head. It's just a tool. What you do with it is the is the difference, but it's just a tool. Now, um, there's also a lot of books out there that provide things called self-hypnosis, where you can actually yeah. hypnotize yourself. That's correct. Do you also distribute things like self-hypnosis? Because, you know, you're a busy man. You know, you can't hypnotize well, people personally all the time. Most of the work I do is with individual clients. Um, and I do have I have a corporate side of my business where uh, companies hire me to come in and do motivational seminars and keynotes and talk about performance improvement, help their salespeople get motivated and their customer service people. I have a whole course that teaches people how to communicate at a subconscious level so that your prospects and clients actually feel compelled to do business with you. It's very powerful. Um, but part of the process of doing hypnotherapy with clients is teaching them some basic techniques for self-hypnosis so they can reinforce the new behaviors. I also sell a variety of products on my websites uh, for weight loss, for quitting smoking, for general well-being, and for sleeping issues because there are a lot of people that have trouble sleeping. So they can download these programs and then take themselves through the program. Uh, it's very much based on the same techniques I use in the clinic, uh, but I, I you know, sort of generalized it so it's, it's more um, generic, and it works very, very well. So, yeah, people can learn to hypnotize themselves. There's an old saying in the business that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, you have to allow yourself to enter that state of consciousness. I can guide you there, or you can learn to do it yourself. It's easier when someone guides you there because you don't have to play both roles. You're not the, the, the client and the hypnotist at the same time. That takes a little practice, but it's very doable. Now, perhaps this, now there are going to be some people here that would like to actually use hypnosis to improve the quality of their life. How is hypnosis useful or more useful, in fact, than affirmations or 
maybe how is hypnosis helpful for developing habits a lot faster? Could you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, and it goes back to the difference between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. You know, when you do affirmations, which are very powerful, and they are part of the synthesis process. I have people doing affirmations. But you have to remember, when you're saying an affirmation like, um, I am calm and focused in front of groups, I speak with ease and eloquence every single day, well, that's great. But you're just saying that at a conscious level. When we use hypnosis, combined with that, we're tying in the much more powerful subconscious mind. And when that happens, again, if you think of a tug of war, 10% of the mind is conscious, 90% of the mind is subconscious. If you have a subconscious program that is holding you back, it's awful hard for 10 guys on that, on that rope to pull 90 guys into the mud or to win the war. But when you get the 90 guys on your side and everybody's moving in the same direction, it becomes very, very easy. So that's why hypnotherapy and these other techniques can be so powerful for helping in, uh, in implement these changes because we get both parts of the mind working together. There's no more conflict. You can say affirmations until the cows come home, but if it's just at a conscious level and you're not addressing the underlying programming, you know, it's going to be a much longer road to hoe. And you may or may not be successful. But when you get that subconscious mind on your side, you get that three-year-old computer reprogramming itself for the patterns you want, then suddenly you're standing in front of that group of people speaking eloquently and with ease, and you really are, because that's how you feel. You're not just saying it, you're feeling it. So what's the specific experience with a client that hits you the most? Well, I would say two parts of it. In the beginning, when uh, they come in, and they feel broken, and they feel like there's something wrong with them, that they're, uh, that they're deficient, and they understand very early on, usually in the first session, that that is not the case, and that there is not just hope, but that there is a way to get out of whatever it is that's holding them back. Let's just take anxiety. And that they can learn to get in the car and drive on the freeway without anxiety or get on the plane or whatever it is. Anxiety hangs its hat on many different issues in life, but it's all the same thing. That is a very gratifying moment. When I see the light bulb go off and they think, oh, maybe there is hope for me. Maybe there is something. And then, of course, at the end, when we're finished and they feel fantastic and their life is working great and they feel powerful and motivated and, and it's like, wow, this is a new day. And it usually only takes a few weeks. That is a very gratifying moment. And in between, it's fun because that's the work of it. But if you ask for, for the, the moment, it's the beginning when I see them and, and, and help convince them that there's hope, um, more than hope. And then at the end, when it's done and it's happened so quickly, if, if anybody looks me up on Yelp, Dr. John McGrail Hypnotherapy, you'll see clients write reviews. And they say, you know, I went to traditional therapy for years and years and years. And in a few weeks, everything changed. Uh, now, that's not the case for everybody, and I'm not saying traditional therapy isn't very effective, but this can be an incredibly effective and powerful methodology for changing your life quickly and profoundly. And a question that's been beaming in my head for a while now, too. Now, I kind of knew this before. Certain people are a lot harder to hypnotize, but how would you actually deal with a person like that? It must be a lot harder. Well, everybody has a certain level of natural suggestibility. That's the term that's used. How easy is it for you to go into this state of consciousness to enter what we call trance or we call a hypnotic sleep, although you're never asleep. It's just easier to say deep sleep than, it's, than it is to say completely focused and totally relaxed when you have to say that several hundred times a day. Deep sleep's easier. Um, we can test for that suggestibility so we can get a, a feeling before we even start where the person is on a scale. Uh, is it going to be more difficult for them? And it's not necessarily difficult, but how do you do it? There are different ways of inducing hypnosis. And once you understand where a person is, then there are techniques, very gentle, that, that work better. And it just takes experience. It takes training. And as I said, there's a science and an art to this. And I think after nearly 20 years, I probably rely more on the art than the science now. I just have an intuitive knowing 
when I'm working with someone, how best to get them there, how best to guide them there. Because it is very much that. It's like a, a tourist. They're the tourist. I'm the tour guide. They come in to take the tour. I take them on the best tour possible. If they don't want to take the tour, nothing's going to happen. So um, I wouldn't say difficult uh, to hypnotize. I would say different. And once you understand sort of the nature of where people are, there's kind of a scale, and you can then you can then learn techniques that will help you with those folks that need a different approach, uh, may need a more subtle approach, may need a more indirect approach rather than a direct approach. And that's you know as I, I said, it's a it's a question of training, competence, science, and art. So. Kind of elaborate more on the journey to getting a PhD. What was it like kind of going through that whole entire process? It must have been very difficult. Well, I wouldn't say difficult. It was certainly challenging in terms of time because I wasn't full-time practice, and it was very difficult to find a program uh, in, in the day. And this is many years ago now. There, weren't, there were only a couple of PhD programs in hypnotherapy at the time, uh, and I did a lot of research to try to find a good one because you know there are these schools out there. You can be a, a you can be a certified hypnotherapist in three days. I mean, if you look, you'll find them, and they're they're BS, but they're there. And in, and you know there were there were some programs that said you can be a doctor of hypnotherapy, and when I looked at them, there was really nothing going on. Um, diploma mills, I think they call them. But I finally found a program that I thought had some meat to it, and I talked to the the, uh, the chairman of the curriculum, and uh, it was online, and it was not a diploma mill. It took me three and a half years of research and study, reading a lot, a lot of books, and writing a lot, a lot of research papers, and then a, then a dissertation, a full-blown dissertation. Uh, so I did it. Uh, you know, while I was working full time. So it, it wasn't hard. It was fascinating because I wanted to learn more and I, and I learned an enormous amount. I developed the synthesis process through all that research. Uh, so it was very gratifying and I enjoyed it. It was just, it was challenging in terms of time to be reading all these books and papers and, and research briefs and then writing papers while I'm dealing with a full-time clientele. Uh, but, it, you know, worth every minute of it because it really changed the arc of my career and it helped me develop Synthesis, which I got a book published about and which works really, really well. So now the transition out to the business stage. Now, entrepreneurship has always been well known for, you know, being a little bit on the shaky side. How was it like trying to make your skills now into a profitable business? Well, as you said, uh, it, it is like any business, and it's interesting because many of the people that I went to school with never ended up actually doing it because they love the work and they love working with the clients, but they weren't able or willing or both to do the business side of it. And so when I first started, um, it was marketing, advertising, doing free presentations. There, there's a, a, a chain of grocery stores called uh, Whole Foods. I'm sure most people have heard of it. It's nationwide now. But Whole Foods in L.A. used to have this program where um, people like me, uh, in the evening, they would, they, they would have a room up, up, up above the store uh, where you could go and do a free presentation. And so I would do free presentations, sometimes to as few as three people, uh, this hour presentation, this is hypnotherapy, this is how it works, this is what I do. I would advertise, I did, uh, I did uh, job fairs and, uh, and uh, health fairs, and you know, I just put myself out there and did the grunt work, built a website, all the stuff that you have to do to run any business. And if you're willing to do that, and fortunately I had business background, so I, I knew how to do it and I was willing to do it, and you gradually build up your clientele. And then if you're any good, you have happy clients. Happy clients refer their friends and their families. And so it builds and builds and builds. And, you know, that's how it, that's how I did it. So what else, what was probably the hardest obstacle you had to deal with when reaching your goals? Well, I would say the hardest obstacle is the fact that, one, we have this stigma about mental health in our country, in our culture, not just the United States, but in Western culture. There's, there's a stigma about getting help for emotional issues. It's starting to ease a little bit. More and more people are, are warming to the concept of therapy. 
But there is that resistance because people are either afraid or think that they're supposed to just suck it up and get through it on their own. So you have to get by that. And I had to get by the natural resistance and the myths and misconceptions about hypnotherapy because think that they're going to lose control, that we're going to take over their mind and all that, all that nonsense because they see stage shows and they think, oh, well, those folks are definitely out of their mind. So you have to get by the resistance and the mythology around hypnosis as a therapeutic tool. And that still exists. It's becoming more and more mainstream. It's becoming more and more popular because people are realizing that it's so effective. But those are two of the probably the biggest challenges. And then, of course, just doing the business side of the business while you're practicing and doing the fun side, which is helping people improve their lives. Those were the biggest challenges. Some of them still exist. I still face that resistance every day, and I still get out there. I do shows like this now. And, of course, uh, you know, I have a pretty good presence now online. I'm pretty well known in the industry and around the country and even around the world. I've got clients all over the world now. But there is still that misconception and resistance that, that people have that, you you know, you deal with it every day. That's why I do shows like this, to help people understand that you don't have to live this life the way you think you do. You don't have to stay stuck. There is help, and it's very powerful help. So there's a lot of people, obviously, that have misconceptions. But what about those people that actually are just have a genuine fear of hypnosis in general? Well, some of them I may never reach, and some of them... Um, if I get a chance to really show them how it works and they realize how natural, how simple, how wonderfully relaxing it feels. I mean, when you come out of 20 minutes of deep hypnosis, it's like you just had a nice nap and you feel so wonderful. Um, And some of them I simply will never see because they just won't open their minds up enough to even try it. And I feel for those folks. But, you know, there's no silver bullet. There's no one technique. There's no one medication. There's no one anything that works for everybody. Um, This works for an awful lot of people because even though they may be afraid of hypnosis, they're in hypnosis several times a day, whether they know it or not. Once they realize that, oh, really, that's it, then they maybe open up and they'll give it a chance. And then once they give it a chance, most people do really, really well. Is it 100%? No. But is it very, very high success rate? Yeah, at least with my clients. Who do you think your ideal client is? My ideal client is someone who has an issue they they can't fix on their own, which is almost everybody at some point. We call them the worried well of the world. Uh, they don't have any organic um, brain damage. There's no, you know, diagnosed mental illness like schizophrenia or something like that because hypnosis doesn't work with some of these conditions. Um, they're sick and tired of feeling this way. They have some glimmering that there could be a better way and they want to make a change and they're willing to do the work. They realize that there's no magic. I can't tap them on the head with a magic wand and make it all go away. Um, and they're open. So they're hungry for change and they're open to try something new and, that's that's the ideal client. And as I said, my, my youngest clients are kids, you know, not younger than seven. It's pretty hard to get them to concentrate long enough. But seven or eight years old is usually the threshold for children. And they do very, very well because their minds are still so open and flexible. Up to and through this, you know, now my oldest client is a, a lovely, lovely lady uh, of 93. From all walks of life, all professions, all socioeconomic backgrounds. But it's folks that, that want it. They're open to try it, and they let themselves have the experience. So what would be a client that wouldn't be a good match? <laughs> a client that was closed-minded, that was resistant, or that doesn't believe that the mind controls our reality, You know, whether we like it or not. Our reality is something that we create. It doesn't feel that way, which is why so many people have a trouble. It feels like life is happening to us, but that's not the case. Our mind is what controls how we perceive the world. Our experiences are processed through our mind. So the people who are convinced that it's got nothing to do with that, that they're victims, that life is happening to them are not going to be good clients because they don't realize that they're creating the pain in their lives, whether they know it or not, they are. Those are the ones that probably will never give it a try 
because they just think that's the way it is. And oh, well, okay, that's your choice. But uh, when you realize that we are responsible and they want to take that responsibility, hey, my happiness is my job. It's not somebody else's job to make me happy. It's my job to make me happy. It's my job to create abundance. It's my job to feel good about who I uh, relate to and what I do for a living. It's not somebody else's job. I'm responsible for my life. Those are the folks I want to see. So what are your future plans for both yourself and your business, of course? Well, before COVID, I was really expanding my my um, corporate business and my public speaking business. I had three keynote addresses scheduled uh, when the shutdown happened last March, and um, that all went away. So I also had a TV show in development, which we were calling Off the Rails with Dr. McGrail, which was going to be sort of a combination talk show, infotainment, and reality, where we would show real people going through the process, the synthesis process, doing hypnotherapy, and show how powerful the results were. Um, and also talk about these different tools and techniques so we could educate people and let them realize that they have so much more power over their lives than they thought. So that was in development. I was also uh, on the, the, the panel of another talk show that was in development uh, that, that unfortunately all of that disappeared when COVID started because everything got shut down. So uh, ideally, when we get back to whatever normal is and we can meet in groups again, uh, I have taught some of my classes online. I have uh, some corporate clients who have hired me to work with their sales and customer service people via Zoom. And, you know, the beauty of it is I can talk to a thousand people at one time all over the world. All we got to do is figure out the time zones. But I would hope very much to get my public speaking business back on track because I really love it. I enjoy it. I can reach more people and help them know that the potential for living a powerful life is in there. It's in their hands. The help that they need is there. Um, I can help businesses do better, uh, bottom line, because I've got all the business experience. I know sales. I can help salespeople and customer service people learn how to do a better job and sell more and uh, increase profitability and serve their clients. I really want to get that back on track. I hope, and who knows, because the TV and film industry is so fickle that once uh, things settle down, we can return to those two shows, mine and the other one that I was going to be on the panel for, which was going to be a really cool talk show, discussing the issues that were going on in everyday life with people and uh, a panel of different experts giving their, their opinions and their viewpoints. It was really, really fun. We did a pilot. We loved it. We had a great time. Everybody loved it. And then, you know, it all just went away. So I would really like to get that part of my business back on track and growing Um do, you know, traveling around, doing seminars, doing workshops, uh, you know, to large groups of people so that I can reach more people and, and help this transformation that is starting to happen in our culture where people are starting to realize that we can marry science and spirituality together. And when you do that, when you create that energetic balance, life is just so much better. So I want to reach as many people as I can to help them understand that you can have an incredibly powerful, abundant, joyful life if you just get the right help and you and you use the right tools. That that's the part that I really want to focus on. My clinical practice is pretty much in place. You know, I I, I rely almost completely on uh, referrals now. I've worked with thousands of people over the years. They send me their friends, their family, and so that's sort of just you know I still enjoy it. I'll still do it but I would probably do a little bit less of the individual work and more of the group work once things get back to whatever we consider normal. So I noticed you mentioned public speaking quite a bit. I think public speaking may be, you know, a very lost skill now. Do you think public speaking is, you know, <laughs> the best outlet to really connect to people? Well, it's really interesting because people are getting more and more used to working online in a format like this. Um, I'm doing all my sessions on Zoom. Uh, what few corporate outings are there now? And, and by, if the, by the way, if there are any businesses out there that want to talk to me about those kinds of trainings, I'd be delighted to do it because I, I have developed these courses for Zoom. But, you know, if you think about what happens when uh, a group of folks goes to church on Sunday and you have a really inspirational pastor and they listen to the homily and the sermon, and they go out inspired. 
And if they do it enough, they may actually uh, change their lives. So I think that personal contact, regardless of how good the online format gets, I think that personal contact when you're there and you're communicating, uh, there's so much of the communication model that is lost when you're in a two-dimensional uh, medium like we are. Like if you and I were in the same room now, it would it would be a different dynamic. We're having a great conversation and you're asking me great questions. But in the communication model, a big part of inter interpersonal communication is physiology, body language. And most of that is subconsciously controlled and it's very, very subtle and nuanced. When you're together in a room, you get those signals. It's instinctive. We don't even, most people don't even realize it's happening. But when you're on, uh, on, a, on a, a platform like this, you lose a lot of that. So yes, I do think that in-person can reach a lot of people. At the same time, I also know that when I, I, I've done some you know, TV shows and I know that millions of people are watching at the same time. So that's a way to reach millions of people at the same time. Is it better? I don't know. For this kind of thing, I sometimes think that if I can speak to 200 people in person, uh, it will have maybe more of an effect than if I speak to a million people on a talk show, both in terms of the fact that I'll have more time, I can be more thorough, I can answer questions, I can see how the audience is responding and adjust my presentation to, 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 you know, to get them engaged. That's stuff that you can't do on a Zoom call. Uh, the first time I taught this sales course was to um, a bank in California hired me to, to uh, train their sales and customer service people on how to do online calls, sales calls and customer service calls. And one of the first things I realized is that I couldn't see anybody because they had so many people that had them, they, they couldn't do the video feed. So I could not see anybody. All I could see is the little green light on my computer. And so for that hour seminar, I just talked to the little green light. I had no idea how it was being received. I had no idea, you know, uh, if people were engaged. I had no idea if anybody had questions. It was just impossible. So it's very challenging to teach a course this way uh, to a large group for that reason, if you can't see them and interact in real time. Now, the technology's come a long way in just this short period of a year, so it's much better than it was. But I don't think you can really replace that in-person, that contact uh, completely. I think it, it really is very valuable for something like this, especially. So let's let's kind of go back to your book now. What is the purpose of this book that you've created? Is it more to act as a supplement or to add on to what you already teach? Well, it is. it was designed and written to help any individual actually learn how to do the synthesis process on their own. Uh, it was designed and written to, if you've got an issue and you go through this process, and what I do basically with each chapter is I introduce new concepts and new techniques. At the end of each chapter, there are what I call action items, homework assignments. And so it was written to educate. It was written to entertain. It's very light in its tone. Uh, there's a lot of humor wherever I could put it in. Um, there are a lot of stories. Uh, from real people, client stories, you know, these are real people just like you, just like me that went through this process and this is what happened to them. So you can, so the reader can say, Hey, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. Um, and at the same time, while all that's going on, education and, and, um, and creating hope, I also teach them how to do the work. Now, again, it's meant to be a standalone. Ideally, you could read the book and if you did it in the way it's set up, and it's not like, okay, just sit down for two hours and read this book. In the very beginning of the book, I say, look, this book is meant to be taken in little chunks. Take it a chapter at a time, a concept at a time. Do the homework because the homework builds. By the time we're at the end, you will be doing the synthesis process. That's what it's meant to do. Is it completely successful for everybody? Of course not. Um, however, I do also find that clients that I'm working with in person very often will read the book and that really enhances their experience because, you know, there's just so much more stuff. So, yes, it is a supplement, but that's not what it was designed to do. It was designed to help someone empower their lives learning this process, which works really well, is very simple, and can be very easy if you let it. So perhaps the most optimal way of 
maximizing what you could do for your client is if the client talked with you and while at the same time he read the book in his own time. Yeah, ideally. And <clears throat> I have a, uh, a seminar, which is uh, probably two half days or maybe one day. It's going to be a weekend seminar called Experiencing the Synthesis Effect, where I will hopefully with, you know, a, a room full of people, take them through not the book, but the process using the book as a guide, uh, because the way the book was set up, it really does build upon itself. And um, I worked really, really long and hard to get it into a format where it made sense and the sequence made sense. The one thing that when I'm working with an audience or a single client is it's a three-dimensional environment. So I can bring in things three-dimensionally. In a book, you have to go in a straight line. You can't do it three-dimensionally. And that was a bit of a, a, a challenge at first to figure out how to do that. It took quite a long time to do it. Uh, I call it chicken and eggness. You know, here's the chicken, here's the egg, which comes first. So uh, I did finally address that in the book. But it's easier to do that chicken and eggness when you're with people because you can do it in three dimensions and not in a line. It still works very, very well, though. The reviews of the book have been, you know, I'm gratified to say, um, incredible. Good to know, good to know. So do you have any final remarks to say to the audience or just in general? I do, uh, and thank you for that opportunity, and, and also thank you for some really great, insightful questions. Um, the one thing I like to leave every audience with is this knowledge. Everybody, every single person in the world, at some time or another, is going to have something in their lives that's holding them back that they're not going to be able to overcome on their own. It is normal. It happens to everybody. That's number one. Number two. Everybody, and I do mean this, everybody has within them everything they need to overcome whatever challenges they're facing. You will probably need a little assistance because of the way the human mind works. It's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. We are inherently resistant to change, even when the change we know we want will be good for us. We are human beings. It is in our DNA to resist change. But if you get the right help, you can overcome anything, and you can create the life of your dreams. Everybody has the ability of doing that, and so I want you to know that. If you if you leave with that one thing and then start looking for the help, and by the way, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm, I'm often, always happy to lend them guidance in that search. It doesn't have to be me that they work with, but I help them. And in the book, I also have a section where helping people find the help they need once they decide they want to take charge of their lives and change whatever it is. So everybody has problems. Everybody has the ability to get over those problems. It's probably going to take a little assistance, but you can do it quickly and profoundly. That's, that's my final thought, and I thank you for the opportunity to say that. Thanks again, John. Really appreciate having you on the show. Well, Jimbo, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I think you're doing a great service by, by giving people a chance to get this kind of information.